0: This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. So this morning, uh, we are continuing uh, a sermon series uh, simply called A Movement of God. Uh, it's a sermon series we started three weeks ago uh, as we kind of head into this fall. It will take us all the way through September. And if you have been here with us, you've, you've started to hear uh, several themes that have come up uh, throughout this series. And, and part of our, our hope Is that two things are happening two lenses are being used one is we're going to scripture and through the lens of scripture we're exploring uh, how god moves uh, through individuals and through god's people and how god's movement is active in us and and we recognize that sometimes those movements are very big movements uh, movements that lead to to massive change in the world and our communities and sometimes those movements are really small movements uh, movements in our own lives in our own hearts uh, that change us or change our families or change our neighborhoods. But in each place, we believe that God's Holy Spirit is moving and inviting us uh, into those spaces, into those places, uh, where we might be part of that movement, where we might participate alongside God and, and really be a part of the, the life transformation that we believe God still calls us to uh, every day. The second lens we're going to use is not only Scripture, but our historical story uh, as United Methodist. Now, I have a question. Who grew up as a Methodist? Anybody? Who grew up not as United Methodist? Yeah? It's like half and half in this room. Uh, That is a pretty normal for us, is that we see a lot of folks come alongside our church family who don't know the United Methodist story, don't know who we are or, or, or the history behind where we've come from. And so part of our hope over these seven weeks is to tell part of that story uh, we believe that, that really John Wesley was less about a denomination. He said that several times. I don't want to create a new denomination. I want to see the renewal and revival of the church. And so we often see a Methodist church as a place where people from different backgrounds can come together, uh, can connect together, even if their traditions are different and experience uh, the, the gospel, the, the word of God, and experience life change here together. And so we're going to tell some of that story, share some of those stories, how, how John and Charles, their mom Susanna, as well as George Whitfield and others, uh, made possible uh, the movement of God in the 1700s uh, that led to spaces like this one, uh, spaces where people from many different traditions and, and backgrounds and cultures can come together and live out God's faith together uh, as part of a movement, not just a moment in time, but a movement that we're a part of. Uh, this morning, we're starting with Romans, and so I'm going to invite you to, to open your Bible with me uh, to Romans chapter 6. You can open that if you have a physical Bible with you, or if you have an app on your phone, or uh, if you want to read along with me on the screens, they'll be behind me as well. But we're going to read Romans 6, uh, beginning with verse 8. And this is Paul, uh, who is writing to the church in Rome, churches in Rome, and talking to a church that was relatively young. Uh, they had they had been birthed in this culture in Rome. They're trying to understand uh, this uh, this interpretation of the gospel and and who this person Jesus is and who that means uh, for their lives. And as he's walking with these churches in Rome, he often just finds himself clarifying kind of what it means to be followers of Jesus in that time and that place. And so this is one of those moments where he has been teaching one truth and then kind of pauses and says, but wait a minute, I want to make sure we're clear. And then he goes into these few verses to kind of clarify some things. So that's where we're coming into in Romans uh, chapter 6, uh, beginning with verse 8. This is what Paul writes. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness. but Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Paul's writing to this church, and he has just spent uh, an entire chapter, if not longer, sort of talking about uh, this good news of the gospel it's the good news that we've heard right it's the news that that there is this guy named jesus that is god incarnate god in flesh that has come into this world as a child grown into a man was in ministry for three years and then died on a cross and was resurrected on the third day and in that life death and resurrection there was this good news that through that process uh, jesus made a way that we might be set free from sin and set free from death It's this free gift of god and our lives are changed because God chose not to leave us alone in our sin, but God chose to break in and create a new path, a new way where we might be set free. And that's great news. And that's true news. And that's news that we still proclaim today, we still claim today, that we recognize that Jesus made a way where there was no way. What Paul then encountered was this idea that because Jesus made everything good and right and holy and a new path for us, well, then we're good, we're set. We can go to heaven, we have our eternity secured, and therefore we can live in this life however we want to live, right? So this is what Paul says, chapter, a few verses earlier, chapter 6, verse 1. He asks this question. He says, what then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? And then in verse 7, he says this as an answer to that question. By no means, how can we who died to sin? Go on living in it. Angelo says when he translated the Greek for that verse in verse 2, uh, by no means, in Greek actually just means, heck no. He <laughs> said no. If, just because God's grace abounds and says it's free from sin, creates a path to eternity, does that mean we just keep living in sin because we're free for eternity? Heck no. That's not what God's inviting us to. God's inviting us to a life that is transformed, that doesn't, End uh, at conversion, but that continues throughout our life, throughout our journey. That we are constantly being changed, constantly being transformed, constantly being formed to be a people who look more and more like Jesus. Uh, when John Wesley uh, was talking about uh, this same idea, uh, John Wesley was uh, of a brother set, John and Charles were brothers. Uh, Charles is the one that that was responsible for thousands of hymns, and so if you are someone who likes old hymns, a lot of them were written by Charles Wesley. Charles is is one of those uh, voices for us. that He's like the tune in our head for many of these things. Uh, John was the preacher, and when John was preaching and teaching, uh, John came to a point where he was having this conversation over and over again, and he began to say to folks, like, like faith, the faith of the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus is not a faith that is only a faith of assent or a faith of right belief. He says, it is one thing to believe that God did these things for us through Jesus. He goes, but that is only an incomplete faith. He said, the faith that is full in Jesus is not only a faith of assent, but also a faith of assurance and a faith of adherence which is that we are a people who are not only to say and claim one belief, but we are to live and behave and act a certain way because we are being changed uh, by God. that's that's the journey. What Paul is saying to the church in Rome is that that's the journey we're on. I remember uh, when I was in high school, I was a a ninth grader. I was about 14 at the time. I was going into my ninth grade summer. I was full-on teenage boy. I mean, like I was like you know, all the, like my son's about to be a sixth grader, and like I'm already watching him like grow into the boy that I was as a, as a freshman, and, and I'm reminded that God gives us children to punish us for our past sins, like that's the, <laughs> but that's, but that is the journey, right? So like I'm watching him grow, and I remember as a ninth grader, I actually had a phenomenal experience, and I had, I, mean, I grew up in the church, I learned the faith all along, I was confirmed in the church, Uh, There was times where our family was in and out of church, but for the most part, this was my story. I I knew these stories. I had been raised in it. I believed in Jesus. I knew that. As a freshman in high school, I went to a camp uh, in Saranac Lake, New York, and it was a summer camp for one week. And I remember on that lake in upstate New York uh, getting a chance to to hear again this sort of fresh uh, teaching of the gospel. And as a freshman in high school, I was like, yes, yes, that's who I want to be. Like, that's, that's the person I want to be. I want to follow Jesus. And I remember standing up and, like, proclaiming that in front of some of my friends and saying, yes, that, that's who I'm going to be. And I remember coming home that summer, and, like, I was just, like, I was different, right? I, I came home, and I cleaned my room. I made my bed. My parents asked me a question. I was like, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, and no, ma'am, and no, sir. I was polite and respectful. Like, I was, like, I know my parents looked at me like, I don't know what, I don't know what happened in New York, but that was the best money we've ever spent, right? I mean, that's just, and I, and I came back, and I really was. I was like, for, for like six weeks. I mean, I was just a great kid. Uh, after six weeks, I went back to being a teenage boy. I mean, that's just, that's what happened. And, but like this moment, like, you know, you know for me, I mean, my, my, my faith journey has been a long, a long journey. I mean, I, I, th- I think we have these conversion moments over and again. For some of you, conversion moments are big moments, and, and you kind of have them, and you maybe you came down, were baptized a certain way. Or, but for some of us, we've, we've always known it. But there are these moments where we have these mountaintop experiences, these experiences where we get close to God and, and things feel different, they look different, we maybe behave different. But the thing about mountaintops, for most of us, is we come off those mountaintops. And while for a season we might look different, behave different, think different, we come back to, to real life sometimes it feels like. And John Wesley saw this happen in the church all the time. He was preaching revivals and renewals and he was, he was watching people come and their lives were being changed by Jesus and then they'd go back into the church and at the time he was a priest in the Anglican church and he said the church, I mean like it was, it was dead inside. People were coming to church, you know, occasionally to check the box and receiving communion and when there was a census, they'd mark Christian on the, the census form but when they got there, it wasn't alive. And so he was calling this church kind of to a place, he's saying, I want to see something different on the backside. In fact, he said this about conversion. We have that quote, Chris. He says, after conversion, after that mountaintop moment, the reality most of us face is this. Temptations return and sin revives, showing it was stunned before, not dead. Wesley said that my experience as a 14-year-old boy was a stunning of sin, (laughs) Sin was sort of pushed back for a minute, but sure enough, it came back, and my parents can certainly attest to that. <laughs> it was stunned, but not dead. And what Paul is saying to the church in Rome, when Paul uh, talks about what it means uh, to be the church, Paul is saying to that church in Rome, like, you have got to go beyond conversion. It, is more, it doesn't stop there. The journey is more than just mountaintops and valleys. The journey is this continual thing where we are learning and being taught what it means to live as a people with less and less sin, with less and less brokenness, that every day we can move closer uh, to God. The word we use for that in Methodism is sanctification, it's this process of becoming holy. And the reality is, is that it's a process. It is a, an ongoing process where God is working on us every day to help us become more and more like Jesus, even when we're on our mountaintops or in our valleys. God's inviting us into this journey. That's, that's the invitation. And Wesley knew this. Wesley experienced this. I mean, John was an incredible preacher. And he would gather folks, and he and George Whitfield were, were both great preachers and teachers in the Wesleyan movement, and they would they would go preach outside the church, and it said thousands of people would come to hear them preach. Sometimes thirty thousand people would come hear George Whitfield preach. If you know anything about church history in America, uh, Whitfield was like the great evangelist people would come and hear him in england it was massive movements and they would they would come and they would be revived and renewed they would confess and and give their lives to jesus again and they would have these movements and as it was happening across england and starting to spread into america uh, wesley saw this movement happen this great movement of god where his preaching was being used to change lives And at the same time the methodist movement was catching momentum Uh, john himself had a crisis of faith he had doubts. He started asking himself, do I even believe this thing I'm preaching? Do I even believe the very words that I'm, that I'm sharing? Do I, do I believe that this God that we preach actually has the power to change lives? And he started having these doubts and, and this crisis, and he even had some failures along the way. In fact, you'll hear about some of those uh, next Sunday. But John had a friend, and John's friend was a guy named Peter Bowler. Uh, Peter Bowler was a Moravian, He considered himself a Moravian evangelist. Uh, He was one who actually saw himself as an evangelist to the Methodists. The Methodists, he said, were really good at reading Scripture and being disciplined and doing things sort of in order, but they needed a heart gospel, a heart faith. And so Peter saw himself as the one that was going to reconvert John and Charles to a heart faith, faith gospel. And Peter was walking with John during this crisis of faith, and he started to talk to him about what it meant to follow Jesus, not just in mountaintops experiences but to follow Jesus in valleys. And for John, the way that he was expressing those gifts was for, through preaching. And so this is what Peter said to him. He said, I want you to preach faith till you have it. And then because you have it, you will preach faith. In Romans uh, chapter, thir- uh, chapter 8, verse 13, uh, this is what Paul says about the same idea. no longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness present yourselves to god as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to god as instruments of righteousness when paul is talking about the unique gifts that we have the 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 attributes that we have he wants to invite the church to to always be offering ourselves to god as instruments of righteousness for wesley that was preaching preaching was the way he expressed his faith And so Bowler said to him, well, just keep preaching. Maybe in preaching, you'll convert yourself again. It would be great. (laughs) You're converting all these other people. You're inspiring them to faith. Maybe you'll inspire yourself. And when you inspire yourself, watch what happens. The fire of God will come alive in you in a new way, and you will see many, many more conversions because the Holy Spirit is moving. And you will see this movement spread across. And he was right. Paul is saying, Whatever your instrument is, whatever your gifts are, whatever your tools are, he says keep doing them. Keep doing those things. Keep offering those things uh, to God for righteousness' sake. If you have time and, and you want to spend your time a certain way, offer your time for habits and patterns that create righteousness, not wickedness. If you have money, offer your money for things that create righteousness, not wickedness. If you have relationships, offer your relationships in patterns and ways that create righteousness, not wickedness. He says, in mountaintops and in valleys, part of the journey of faith is simply taking the next step, however small it might be, so that we are committing ourselves to a changed life that doesn't stop at conversion, but continues on through the rest of our lives this morning as you leave uh, you'll take with you this ministry directory and this is not uh, an attempt to like guilt you into doing things like this i don't need you to do more stuff but for some of you there are places in your life that you need to pay attention to that you need to pay attention to whether that those spaces are producing righteousness maybe uh, maybe you need to be in god's word maybe you need to study scripture that you've not been in scripture for a while and you need to re-engage god's word or you want to go deeper there are bible studies in here people are teaching and offering their gifts to create space for us to be in god's word together maybe where you need that is in relationship you need to be in a small group or a community that can hold each other accountable there are ways that you can get involved in a small group or a community that can can connect you to each other maybe it's serving maybe you saw these kindergartners and you said you know what i love kindergartners they're awesome and they really are awesome (laughs) they're sweet they love you they like think you walk on water it's awesome like this they're like my favorite people because they actually like they look at me they're like pastor tim you're amazing and i'm like oh i knew i liked you (laughs) but if you need someone just to tell you you're amazing like go serve in our children's church or serve in the preschool whatever it may be like find ways to go maybe that's where you need it maybe it's to serve to the world maybe it's to be in mission you need to go be among other people in our neighborhoods and our communities whatever it is i would just challenge you like like, what is your next step? Our movement marker uh, for today is this: you will know it's a movement of God when the first person that has to move is you. God wants to move in you, and whether you are on a, a mountaintop or a valley today, whether you've been in church all summer, you never miss a Sunday. Whether you have, this is the first time you've been back in a long time. Uh, God wants to move in you. God wants you to take a next step. Because in offering ourselves, offering who we are, our time, our energy, our space uh, towards works of righteousness, we will find ourselves like Wesley. Being moved from from mountaintops to valleys and in between to a place where we might continually be made holy to look more and more like Jesus. So my prayer for us today is that we can do that. We're going to watch a video here uh, in a minute. It's a three-minute video and I promise you it's worth, worth your time I will tell you that it's in English and Spanish, and the, the subtext is not always the easiest to read, so um, it'll be online later if you want to kind of read through it. But uh, it's a story of a ministry that we started here a few years ago in partnership with Fiesta Cristiana. It's a tutoring ministry where people have given of themselves uh, their time to, to walk alongside students, children, uh, who needed a little extra help. And it's been amazing to watch the life change that has happened uh, in those students, but also, more importantly, for many of our folks uh, in themselves as they have experienced God uh, in those spaces. Let's watch. Uh, so that is Simeas. Simeas is a tutoring program. Maybe that's where God's calling you to be. Is Claudia here? Is Claudia here this morning? Yeah, Claudia's here. Claudia, can you stand up for a minute? Claudia's here. Um, if you have any questions about Simeas, uh, Claudia is going to be right out here to my, to my left to y'all's right after worship. You can ask her any questions about that. And so that would be a great way uh, to connect if that's where your heart is. Uh, so maybe it's Simeas. Uh, maybe it's a Bible study. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you want to get involved in marriage enrichment. There's a new class starting this fall, marriage enrichment. Maybe it's your finances. Uh, financial peace, again, starts this fall. Maybe it's your Bible life. Maybe it's your prayer life. Whatever it is, I would just challenge you this morning. Uh, find where God is moving you. Movements start with us. They start with individuals. And in those individuals, lives are changed. Neighborhoods are changed. Communities are changed. Workplaces are changed. The world is changed because God is moving in us. And we really believe that uh, to be true.